Digital Smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm Jodie Greer. I'm the founder of Be People Smart, and I am busting more myths today, but not by myself. I am very pleased to introduce you all to actually an old friend of mine, um, Tim Watton. So, Tim, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, Jodie. Yeah, I'd love to be on your podcast, and we've known each other for well over 10 years, I think. Um, so long enough that we know better <laughs> but a really pleasure to be on your podcast um, about me I am 51 live near Wimbledon in England with my wife and son my son is 15 um, and I've worked in the energy sector as a communication specialist uh, played lots of sport particularly field hockey and this is all underpinned by some very severe health conditions. I was born with the genetic lung condition, cystic fibrosis. Um, I wasn't expected to live beyond 17, but as I just said, I'm 51, so defying the odds. And as a side effect of cystic fibrosis, I am a type 1 diabetic as well. So a lot of very tricky medication needed every day to overcome. Um, and that is something we're going to delve into relating to being in the workplace and having hidden disabilities. Excellent. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So before we delve in, I'm just going to share the myths that we're busting today. And as usual, we'll probably add in some more myths as we go. But we are looking at cystic fibrosis is like asthma and people with cystic fibrosis die young. So I'm actually really excited that that's a myth and we're going to come back to it. But before we move on, and I will touch on diabetes actually with you, Tim, if that's okay. But I just want to ask first, for those who aren't aware, what is cystic fibrosis? Cystic fibrosis, or I shall refer to it as CF, is a genetic condition. So both my parents were carriers, unbeknown to them. Then there's a one in four chance that any of their children will have the condition. It's a protein deficiency that causes a buildup of mucus in the lungs um, and also affects other organs like um, my digestive system um, and my pancreas. It can cause early death. Um, that is not completely a misnomer. Um, of, my per of my vintage, people were dying in their teens and I have not lived long life. So it, it is a reality that the lungs get clogged up with too much mucus, too much infection. It's very hard to shift it because it's very viscous. So people with CF cough a lot. Um, and they do need a lot of medication every day to have reasonable health, but not great health. And um, after a while, you'll need potentially need oxygen because literally the, the mucus is just too um, clogging up the lungs. And once you're on oxygen, the next step is lung transplant if you're fortunate enough to get one and then there's all the risks of um, that not working out for you and um, then uh, an early death it is actually quite quite normal so so that's cystic fibrosis um, in a nutshell um, and I do have brothers one is a twin who's completely healthy and one an elder brother who is a carrier of the uh, of the condition 
so that's actually really interesting so even though your brother took the genes he doesn't actually suffer with cf but he does carry it and he could pass it on to the next generation he he could have done yeah um my twin brother got away with everything he uh, got all the healthy bits that's that's just so intriguing i mean it's wonderful obviously that your twins healthy but being twins as well it, yeah. you feel like it defies the odds it, it is bizarre it is bizarre my my mum actually used to treat cystic fibrosis patient at great ormond street hospital in london even before i was born so uh, i was really unlucky to get cystic fibrosis but she spotted the early di- the early signs that i was as they refer to as failure to thrive And she pushed doctors for an early diagnosis when normally it would have gone untreated and probably uh, led to my demise. So she spotted it, acted, started the physiotherapy, which is percussion on the on the chest to try and get the mucus up when I was only six months. So she acted very swiftly. And as a nurse herself, she got me disciplined with taking the meds, which to give you a, a snapshot every day, I take at least 40 tablets throughout the day. And I have to do two hours of physiotherapy to get the mucus up. And I then do inhalers, nebulizers, and for my diabetes, lots of injections and blood tests. So it, it equates to about two hours of every day. So at age 51, you can do the maths. 51 years of age times by 365 times by two hours each day. That's many, many hours. And that's just the treatments. You've got lots of time spent in hospitals as an inpatient or just um, outpatient visits. So it is ma- it is a huge commitment. Um, and as I said, uh, Jody, it's a commitment to have pretty average health, not amazing health. Yeah, I mean, you've always been my font of knowledge. And to be honest, you've been my absolute primary uh, knowledge point for CF because I only originally really learned about it from you all those years ago. So First of all, it's great that you can be on here today, but it's also really great that we can share this with so many more people to raise more awareness, but for people to literally understand what it means. And I'm interested in the fact, because our guest speakers always choose out myths, and I'm glad. I'm interested in the fact that, you know, you say that a lot of people think that cystic fibrosis is like asthma. Now, there's so many conditions that actually impact lung health. Why do you think people associate CF with asthma? Well, I think it's everyone's heard of asthma. They know the inhalers that are needed. They know that in theory, outside of chronic attacks, it probably isn't life-threatening. The two words cystic and fibrosis tell um, average person nothing. Um, And therefore, you're not really getting much idea. In the 80s and 90s, only 5% of people had heard of cystic fibrosis when I would tell them. Now, I think most people, well over 95% have heard of it, but now it's only about 5% that really have an intuitive understanding or or a felt understanding of what that means for the person with the condition. So the dial does need to move. So it's not lazy stereotypes that they think it's asthma, but everyone's heard of asthma and they know it's lung-related and you cough and you may need physiotherapy. That's quite a common understanding of the the treatment that's required just a lot of people would go okay is that like asthma or worse version of asthma that's what i you hear a lot with the condition 
so so it is severe people do and have died young it needs a lot more medication than asthma would ever need to do just to stay as i said relatively healthy so it's like a very very severe version of asthma and then some because it affects many other organs so can i ask you for you personally what has been your most for want of a better term trying time because of cf yeah so the, the, there's quite a, a catalog of trying times um losing friends to it is obviously going to be top of my list because we go through the same tricky challenging life and episodes and when i've lost i'd say hundreds of friends to cf around the world not just uk and each time they apart it takes a bit of bit of me with them um so that would always be top of my list of the really challenging moments there was a group of four of us in southampton where i was born um we used to go to the same appointments together and then in my early 30s all three of them had died and i was the last one left so that was always extremely poignant time for me because you're just thinking, well, why am I the one that's left? They all deserve to live longer than me or as long as me. Um, so each time they go, it, it's extremely tough. In the workplace, there's a minutia of moments that are tough um, from when or how you tell colleagues and your manager about your condition. Because again, we talked about it being a non-visible condition on the whole. For the naked eye, I worked so hard to keep myself looking relatively well and fit and I play sport to counteract the ravages of the lung damage. And I work even harder on my disposition, my happiness, my esprit de corps. And Jodie, you've seen me in the office. I'm always generally the, the most jazz hands, happiest person. And it's not fake. It's, it's, it's me making sure I override some of the negativity that is naturally going to be riddled in my body and my mind um, but because I'm giving off um, an effervescent persona people would consider that cystic fibrosis is not such a tricky or hard illness so there are lots of moments that are very trying in the workplace not least trying to take medication at a certain time doing my injections rushing them in between meetings because often you people would eat in a in a meeting room they wouldn't even think about how they take tablets or do an injection into their abdomen but that's everything that i would have to consider i've also done nebulizers in the toilet um in the gents toilet because there was nowhere else to do it so it, there are some very tricky moments that i have to get through and just not let those moments dictate my mood um and my positivity I mean, absolutely, like, your resilience is is something to be, you know, kind of revered. It's just, it, it's, it's wonderful. But a lot of people maybe couldn't be as positive as you are, Tim. So I think there's two things to this. One is not to make assumptions, and I talk about this a lot, but it's so important. Even if somebody comes across as positive and happy, it's not like you say, it's not necessarily that that's fake, but it doesn't mean there's any nothing else underlining where maybe they'll need some form of adjustment or some support or something else. Because um, I think people often see a smile and think, well, you're all right. On to the next person. 
Yeah, and um, this is my version of handling cystic fibrosis and a chronic condition. As you've sort of just alluded to, people will show up their, with their conditions in many different ways. Each morning, I could put on two sort of conceptual T-shirts. One says victim, one says survivor. I choose each day to put on the one that says survivor because that's the identity and mindset that then pervades throughout the day. I completely understand how easy it would be to put the victim on, the victim T-shirt on. And there were times where I wanted to, um, but it's just a decision I make each day not to. I'd love to feel that if I was in your position, I could always put on that Survivor T-shirt. Um, but no one obviously knows, right, until then they're given those two and you, you, you've got to work out your own path. So, yeah, I think key message is about not making assumptions, no matter what you maybe see on the surface. Um, but something else I want to ask you about then is you just talked about, for instance, using a nebulizer in the workplace. <clears throat> and I'm I'm conscious of the fact that you had to use it in a toilet anyway. So what kind of adjustments would you need in a workplace and what might, you know, other CF um, patients need? I know that there are certain rooms that are for medical. I think um, if you were transparent with the line manager stroke employer, HR, they would find a room that you could easily lock the door and do that medication, whether it be nebulizer, physiotherapy, uh, even um, diabetic injections, you, you could do it with complete secrecy and well, and just actually make sure that you know no one's going to walk in on you, um, and you don't have to rush it because forever doing it under uh, under everyone's nose, but you're keeping it hidden. Everything is very sort of hidden, and you feel like you're too, you're living two lives. So, so there isn't. I mean, that often. The patient loves to just to be asked what 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 um, flexibility would they like and how can that be made to work inside inside the confines of each office because each office will be set up differently. Yeah, that makes sense. What about when it comes to working hours? Because I'm just thinking, and I know you'll probably come more from your own take, but you've got a lot of friends with CF. If it takes so long to take your medication and to, you know, do your physio, do you need adjustments? Maybe not permanently, but sometimes to your working hours? Um, I'd say that's a case-by-case -case basis. Definitely since the pandemic, um, with the sort of hybrid working style now, that's probably going to go in the favour of people with chronic conditions, they can easily do their medications and they're not need to fit in anything up to an hour of a, a commute because that is in time as dead time that they could do their medications. Um, so that, that really helps because then you probably got less days where you're pushing the envelope and trying to fit it all in. Because on the days that I have to go into the office, I've got a you know fifteen year old son. I've got to get you know a boy that is you need to be shoehorn out him out of bed. <laughs> I've got to get him out of out of bed to school. I'm at the same time doing my ne often I do two nebulizers in the morning, a physiotherapy. I've taken about fifteen tablets and done two injections. At the same time as trying to get myself ready as well as my son. To a lot of people, that would feel like their day's done by nine o'clock. Or, or even earlier, like 8.30, before you leave the house. 
so it is tough and um often by doing an um, one of my nebulizers first thing i then don't have to do it later in the afternoon so the, the, there's cause and effect sometimes you can plan your day and make it work for you but more often than not i would have to be doing um nebulizers and inhalers in the in the gents toilet just to make sure i could fit it all in that is not uncommon yeah thank you and can i just ask when you talk about doing injections were they for cf or is that to do with the diabetes that, that's always diabetes oh that, that is the diabetes i, I thought it yeah. might be but i didn't want to assume um so another thing you mentioned commuting and obviously being in the office and you mentioned covid so i'm just curious about how you went about basically you know isolating effectively and what it means for you now and how comfortable you are with commuting and being in you know office spaces yeah so uh, living near london means i get on the tube which people listening to this podcast some will have that experience to commute others will never have had to get on a tube it is the most claustrophobic and like um if you wanted to be somewhere where you're going to catch people's colds and viruses, that's you couldn't pick any anything worse. And all the years I've commuted up to London or around London, I've had to be susceptible to people's colds and viruses because we weren't wearing masks culturally. It wasn't the done thing. I would say the upside, if there is one, of the pandemic is I will wear my mask, whether it be on the tube or on the train, now even with flights and and know that it, it's not looked at in an odd way and so i'm mitigating me myself catching potential uh, bugs covid or otherwise from complete you know people who are around me who, who will still travel when they're not well that's not gone away in fact people are regressing to how they were thinking everything's gone away i certainly know that people's ability to do hand sanitizing is just gone out the window I mean, I was on a bottle of hand sanitizer pre-pandemic, Jody. So imagine I'm, I was, you know, always doing more now just to make sure any touch points in my hands or handshakes with people in the office, any surface where I've touched, I literally will use the hand sanitizer. So I'm, it's really, you know, maximized that habit. But I'm used to, I go into the office two to three times a week um, and I've just leaned into those good habits of looking after my own um, sanitization and and I wash my face as soon as I'm in the office, clear any sort of potential grime and um, and um, uh, and people's bugs off of me. And that way I bookend the day trying to do the right thing for my own health. And I suppose I've always done that. Even when my son was born, you know, if he wasn't feeling very well, I wouldn't really go near him like a lot of parents I know would even use the same utensils and spoons and forks as their children I, I just won't do that so you just have to have a very hygienic lifestyle the, the alternative that is you get a cold which then becomes something worse and then you need time off because it's affected my lungs so badly yeah I can understand that and I hope that you do obviously take that time but you're probably more aware of your own well-being than a lot of people yeah, um, it sort of comes with the territory, really. <laughs> Talking about being aware, and I really want to get to the other myth because I'm really excited by some stuff you told me off air. Um, but something I want to touch on because this was 
probably one of the pivotal points of me learning from you was when you published your book. So your other hat is an author. That's right. And How I Cheated Death is quite an apt title, right? Yeah, How Have I Cheated Death is exactly how someone with CF would feel at my age. Uh, because as I've alluded to, I've lost many friends to the condition. And you do get to a sort of 30 and then 40 and beyond thinking, well, how am I still here? And it's taken a lot. Um, the three key components of my survival are that utter commitment to the medication that I talked about. The second one is regularly exercise, um, keep myself as fit uh, as I as I can, because the lungs, it's like the Terminator cystic fibrosis. It keeps coming at you. And so I've got to keep fighting back by, with exercise and the drugs. And the third key component, and you need all three, is the grey matter and your mindset uh, and my positive mental attitude. So, so those are three, just imagine them as interwoven cogs that are all feeding off each other. And if I all I did was take the medication, I'd still be dead. You know, and uh, I, you need the meds that enable you to do the sport. And then the sport makes you feel good because you're you're fighting back and you're feeling normal. So the three work off each other really well. So, I mean, it's been a while now. What what, what year was it published originally? Yeah, uh, 2014. Wow. It was a yeah. while ago. Um, <laughs> so I remember, obviously, because it's been a while since I've reread it as well, I'll be honest. But... I remember not not only being a compelling read because I'd already learned quite a lot from you, but I think the fact that <laughs> real life, but the fact that it is, you know, someone's life um, and you just learn so much through the pages. It, it was, it was, a, it sounds wrong to say it was such a brilliant read because of course this is, this is your life, but it was because you learned so much. And I remember we had in my past life, um, when I was a network lead, we had umpteen copies for some prizes uh, for some competitions we were doing. And people got so excited to get a version of your book, which done me a massive favour. So thanks for that, Tim, because we got better input. Um, but yeah, I mean, what made you decide to actually go with the authoring? What made you decide to put it in a book? Well, as a communications specialist inside companies, you're often talking about other people's lives and corporate news so I suppose I had the writing and the storytelling gene to then have the gift of writing your own truth um, and because I was surviving and not sharing to help others it felt like I was not doing myself justice you know it's like your biggest ever achievement and you're not talking about it so I felt I had to change that I started with a blog uh, which is still going. It's called Postcards from Earth. Started that in 2011 when I turned to 40. And because that was so well received um, and amazingly people got past the so what, you know, uh, and were bloody interested, I thought, well, actually, there's more here I can do. And the, and the book came out of that. Um, and from then it's led to public speaking and um, helping others, whether it be one-to-one -one with families, with the child, with CF, or actually speaking to corporates, um, spoken to government, um, travelled around a fair bit of the world, actually delivering keynote speeches and motivational speeches about not just the CF survival, you know, the how, but also what it means for for people who work for a company that maybe are making drugs, and also in the DNI space in companies, what can they do 
to enable people like me because one thing that is definitely true and doesn't need to be busted is that people who suffer every day are super resilient and they have some wonderful attributes what i call super strengths that are just absolutely brilliant for companies but they just need to be harnessed more than they currently are yeah definitely and i think what's really interesting so you talk about diversity and inclusion and i'm always obviously beating the point that we don't talk about disabilities hardly enough like nowhere near in in organizations but I think long-term health conditions get even less visibility. So these kind of messages, and when you are going out and doing your, you know, your motivational speaking and so on, I think it must be so powerful for people to really have those kind of mind-broadening moments. Yeah, we, we don't tend to sweat the small stuff as people with chronic long-term, long-term conditions. We know how to prioritise we don't want to take time off unless we really, really have to. So we we will soldier on maybe better than some of our healthy peers. Uh, and we just see the bigger picture, which, you know, which is really important in my experience. We also, to, a, to survive, we need to deliver ourselves to ourselves. So therefore, we're used to delivering every day. And so that's really something that an employer should should want and should look for. Um, in their in their workforce so it's really interesting what you were just saying because it's in another myth and it comes up so many times to do with disabilities to do with health conditions that when particularly at recruitment stages there's this kind of unconscious bias often kicks in that people make an assumption that someone with a certain disability or health condition is going to need lots of time off and I think you've just kind of hit that on the head immediately that actually often it's the absolute opposite because people, you know, they learn coping mechanisms, they learn resilience because they have to, to live and just to get about their life. Yeah, I mean, I've got a chronic long-term lung condition. I've not taken one day off as like sickly for a cold in about 20 years. That's something that maybe people would sort of leverage and go, oh yeah, I'm not feeling so well, bit of man flu uh, or cold. I'll take some time off. I'm not feeling my best. Well, we never have a best. Therefore, every day makes, you know, we make every single day count, not just count the days. For COVID, when I had got, got that in February this year, because um, of the medication I'm on, actually only had mild symptoms, but I didn't stop working that week. I didn't go in, of course, but I kept working. I didn't just use it as a passport for some time off. So we are super resilient. We're super motivated. We, and here's the the nugget that everybody should remember. We are determined to to make a difference, and therefore employers need to harness that and not see us as a weak link. Where actually we've got lots of super strengths that are going to be super brilliant for any an employer and any team working. Yeah, I mean that's the funny thing. If you can just get people to understand the true value and the true strengths, then I think they would recognise that actually the additional skills and strengths that come with people are an asset to any organization, but it's just getting that message out there. So hopefully this is helping to do exactly that, Tim. Yeah. And we talked about what you started by saying one of the other myths to debunk that people die early from CF. 
Now, that probably was fair, realistic for the last 30 years, but actually there's been, and here's the news alert for those that don't know much about cystic fibrosis. For an, at least 90% of people with CF who come to you for a job, they're now on a really new, amazing drug. Most of them, not everybody, a lot around the world, certainly in the UK and in America, they're on a new drug called Caftrio and our lives have been improved. We, we don't really cough very much. We have more energy. We feel more vibrant. We never even have to have time away at hospital for what we used to call intravenous treatment. So that's the reveal now that for people with cystic fibrosis, it should be considered a condition similar to diabetes that you can easily manage and that you are fit and well, ready to turn up and make a big difference for any employer. So that's been the change. It's not well understood because it's a fairly new new drug. I've only been on it for two years now, and it's been a substantial change um, from where I was going with my health to where I am now. I'm back playing field hockey again, and I'm now in a, a team with my own son, running around on a cold day um, on a Saturday, which I was not able to do for the last decade. So it's to just understand that there are new medication. The difference with this medication, it treats the underlying causes of cystic fibrosis. It doesn't just treat the symptoms. So it actually goes to the actual epicenter of what causes the mucus production and it stops the mucus production. And when you're not producing the mucus, we're not so half as tired. We're not coughing so much. We're less inclined to get infection and we're just healthier, healthier beings. Yeah, I have to say, I was really excited for you to share about Caftrio because when you told me about it, and obviously with everything I've been, I've heard from you and following your blog, and I've learned so much over the years that this for me was just a proper wow moment. But also, we always, for lots of different health conditions, we we want all these clever people at pharmaceutical companies to find, you know, those solutions. And the fact that Caftrio is such an effective one, I mean, it's just amazing. It is. It's for me a long time coming. But uh, for employers listening to this, anybody who comes through you for the hiring process that has cystic fibrosis, understand that actually they're probably as healthy as their peers, their healthy peers, and they can make a difference. Do not think that they will always be off sick because that's how it used to be. It's not how it's going to be. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So, as much as CAF Trio is pretty magic, really, and I know it's, it's clever and science, but it is pretty magic, I need to ask you my magic question, Tim. So if you've okay. been listening, for it. you'll know that I always ask this question of my guest speakers, and it is, if I could give you a magic wand, Harry Potter style, and you could change one thing in the world to make it healthier or more inclusive, what would you change? Just that level of understanding, you know, where I said only 5% really understand cystic fibrosis. I'd want that to be in the 90s and above. So that when I say cystic fibrosis, people would understand it in some ways like asthma. They would understand it as diabetes. It's there. It needs to be mitigated with certain medication. But in theory, there's no nothing really stopping you from being um, as... Uh, onerous with your job and tasks and deliver just like any healthy peer that that would be a substantial change and the potential prejudice 
or biases against it um, would be removed. Yeah, wonderful. I, I always love the answers to those questions. They're so different, but they're just so powerful. So thank you very much. And hopefully, you know, this um, episode can help take a small shift in that. But also, obviously, everything you're doing, I think, can really make a difference in those numbers to see that awareness raise. Well, it has to start somewhere. And I, I put a post on LinkedIn quite recently about hidden disability because I felt that it needed to be spoken about more. I would say that in any average workplace, there's hundreds of people with a hidden disability concerned, worried, afraid of doing any type of visibility and transparency about it. And that, that has to stop. That has to be improved. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And of course, there are so many hidden disabilities and health conditions. And talking of which, I know we've talked a lot about CF and that was what our primary message was going to be about today. But I do want to ask, is there anything you would like people to know or understand about diabetes? Yeah, I mean, of the course, there's, there's a couple of types of diabetes. If you're type 2, then in theory, it's minimal fuss because you may not even have to do um much and you won't be doing any injections you may have to take some tablets and you probably ch check your bloods so that is that is in some ways not a huge um issue if you are type one um then you do run the risks of having going hypoglycemic when you're actually low blood sugar levels and it actually does feel like you're a bit drunk like you, you struggle to understand uh, and and actually talk properly uh, the people listening to this probably think I've been on a hypo throughout. Um, hopefully not. Um, <laughs> but, but but an employer uh, and colleagues just need to be aware that if somebody is sweating, if they look like they're vacant and their complexion goes to a more grey colour, which, is, again, I never see myself when I'm having a hypo, um, so, but others have told me this, that's when you need to just make sure that you get some sugar into them quickly and then something sustainable um, like a biscuit. Um, but the actual turnaround is quite quick. You don't have to wait an hour. Once that sugar's inside the system, it will be a matter of minutes. And then the, the person will be a lot more lucid and understanding that they've just dipped into a hypo and they needed help. It's happened to me on, on occasions in the office and people have been very kind, but I've let them know. It's always been easier for me to tell people about my diabetes. It's kind of ironic that my really severe condition is fibrosis. And that's the one that they understand the least. <laughs> but, you know, at the moment, I'd love the needle to be moved and everyone understands CF in the way they understand diabetes. But but to, uh, to fully answer your question, Jodie, uh, diabetes is the main moment is when you, your blood sugars go low. That's when you need support in the form of quick um, sugar. I think that's such an important message because we've done more and more over the years, for instance, we've and rightfully so, you know, teaching people how to, you know, resuscitate someone and that sort of thing. Um, but being able to actually support someone who is having a diabetic hypo is actually massive because that can also take a very bad turn if they don't get the right sugars, can't it? Yeah, it can lead to be going into a diabetic um, coma and, and then worse if untreated. So th there is a heavy risk. I'd say most type 1s know... The signs of when they're going low 
because sometimes if you're busy at work, you're doing a task, you know, suddenly you just go beyond when you could have helped yourself. So um, the support of your colleagues is really important and it does happen. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing for people to have an awareness about. And maybe it'll also give people who are diabetic a bit of confidence to actually speak to their team about it, to understand how they could help them and what the signs are of when they might need that help. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, I think a good line manager would reference that to the colleagues, whether it would be uh, out loud in a meeting or just one to one. So everyone's aware, you know, Joan has diabetes. If you see her struggling, you know, become less lucid she may need some insulin it's not she may it's not insulin she may need some uh, sugar just to revive her so yeah i think there's no reason why um that that conversation shouldn't be second second nature for people no i think that'd be wonderful uh, do you know every time i speak to you <laughs> i always learn new things and i hope that you know, our speakers are getting as much out of this as I am. And for a lot of them, this will be a new subject as well. So I can imagine that, yeah, people are going to be Googling left, right and centre and trying to find more information. So is there, particularly for CF, is there a sort of primary point of information you would encourage people to actually head to? Uh, yeah, don't blindly Google it because you'll get old news and not completely up to date. If you're in the UK, the Cystic Fibrosis Trust, you can search that. That's fairly up to date and it's got lots of um, healthy links there and support links for for, for whether you're a carer or um, a parent of somebody with it or an employer. Uh, if you're based in America, it's called the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Wherever you are in the world, either the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation or the CF Trust, you'll get support. So that's where I would go to. Thank you. I think that's really important. It's kind of what I was alluding to, because when you Google any health condition, it can be a minefield, to say the least. And you can often find some very uh, unhelpful information, <laughs> as well yeah. as sifting through for the uh, helpful stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've just told you that the majority of young CFs now with this new drug should, in theory, live really capable, healthy lives. But if you Google cystic fibrosis, you may get told that people don't live beyond 30. And therefore, that's a, that doesn't correlate at all. So do go where the professionals are and get the most up-to-date information. Thank you so much. So, you know, you've, you've waved your magic wand um, and you've waved a bit of an extra magic wand for us all, to be fair, because, you know, you've shared so much and you've been really open. So I want to say a big thank you for that, for being so like personally open and honest with us. But is there anything else in particular you'd really like listeners to take away from this episode? So cystic fibrosis is different to asthma. It's a more severe condition on the whole. We do have to do a lot of medication every day, but um, we are some of the most resilient, upbeat, dynamic and progressive people you'll ever meet because we have to be by our innate survival we have all those wonderful attributes. I would say for people who do work with somebody with cystic fibrosis, um, don't be worried. Ask the person, you know, what's it like? One of the odd things is I do talk about my health to managers and they never ask me anything again. And I never entirely know why. Is that because they think I'm okay? Or is that because they didn't 
really know where to begin with with this conversation so just ask the person get some you know get the lowdown what it feels like where the pinch points are in any day see if you can help them um and generally do, do if there's a choice do take a chance for somebody with a a chronic condition because a they'll want to deliver back for you because you've given them that that opportunity and that means a lot because we're forever fighting hard and when people support us we're super loyal and we will continue to give back to you so so those are the key messages and, and just augment that with that that final one that with the new advancement in drugs we in theory should be living very healthy long lives just as any healthy peer would be able to do that's wonderful i mean the perfect message thank you so much on that point so i have no doubt that a lot of intrigued listeners are going to want to find you tim learn more from you so how can they find you and connect uh, they can find me as Tim Watton. So that's Cotton with a W. It's my catchphrase. Um, so Tim Watton on LinkedIn. And they can also find me at Tim Watton on social media platforms such as Facebook and um, and on Instagram. Um, so so those, those are the main ways to contact me. And it's Tim Watton at hotmail.com should you wish to email me. Thank you. That's lovely. Um, you also mentioned your blog. How do they find that? Yeah, they can type uh, Tim Watton Postcards from Earth and uh, my book, as we spoke about earlier, How Have I Cheated Death, uh, which is a very uh, poignant title. But one, and Jody, you know, you've read it. It's It's a feel-good book, isn't it? It's not just morose and how difficult life is. Yes, there are some moments, but it's interlaced with lots of humour because that's how I've got through life. I think that's why I said it's such a compelling and a good read. Like, because I know it's your life, but you do. You want to read the next page, you know, and then you're like, oh, finished. (laughs) A snapshot is, you know, I'm I'm born on 17th of March. For those that know that date, that's St. Patrick's Day. And I'm not I'm no stranger to a bit of partying and socialising. So my whole birthdays I've tried to outdrink the Irish and fail miserably but it's full of those little anecdotes and I play sports and there's lots of amusing sports stories so it is definitely uh, life affirming is is two words I would put next to my book yeah I would yeah I completely get where that's coming from and I would agree I think that's wonderful so all that's really left for me to say for now Tim obviously <laughs> we'll be in contact but a big thank you for your time today and for everything that you've shared with us it yeah it's such a powerful message for everyone and so much to digest but just a big thank you from me Jody, real pleasure really kind of you to invite me onto your show and um really enjoyed the chat maybe there'll be a part two um but just a real pleasure to be chatting with you today thanks for the invite Thank you very much. And thank you to everybody for listening to the episode. Please do get in touch. And you just heard Tim say there might be a part two. So maybe we can hold him to that. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.